This episode is sponsored by Value Motive. If you're a decision maker interested in the possibilities of applying artificial intelligence in your business, Value Motive can help. An easy way to get started is with a kickoff data workshop facilitated by Value Motive. In the workshop, you'll evaluate your data resources, set goals towards a more data-driven culture, and make plans on how to get there. The workshop is non-binding. Afterwards, you can work on the implementation on your own, hire someone else, or let Value Motive help you. Book a workshop and start your data-driven journey. Go to valuemotive.com to learn more. Oh yes, time for another episode of Boss Level Podcast. This is my interview with Harri Valapala. Harri is the CEO of Curious AI, a Helsinki-based 20-person startup that's aiming to build a general artificial intelligence. Now that's a pretty bold goal when Facebook's head of AI research just recently said that in terms of general intelligence, we're not even close to a rat. Harri is a respected researcher in the field of artificial intelligence. He knows his stuff. And the previous company he founded, Zen Robotics, builds robots, so that's pretty cool too. We talk about what general artificial intelligence would be like, whether we should try to simulate the human brain or not, and how curiosity is a great guide in life. You are listening to the Basel Podcast. Enjoy the episode. So first things first, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sami. So you're the CEO and actually one of the founders of Curious AI. And I have to say, I love the name because it kind of makes you curious. Yeah, I'm, I have been very curious all of my life. So this makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a great name. So uh, what is it that Curious AI actually does? We are building the third generation artificial intelligence If the first generation was expert systems and now the second generation, which is hyped all over the place, which is based on machine learning, uh, then the third generation is, is the kind of artificial intelligence that we were promised in science fiction, but which isn't here yet. Okay, that's that's very interesting. So your aims are not in this year or maybe not even next year, but it's it's in the future. Well, let's see what how fast we can get the artificial general intelligence done, but... You are right. We are at the moment building our technology stack, the, all the technologies that are needed for the third generation artificial intelligence. You recently raised almost $4 million dollars in funding for Curious AI, which is a company that focuses on research and building the technology platform. And, and that's pretty unusual. So what are the investors expecting in return for their money? I think the investors are looking uh, long term and Artificial intelligence is going to make a big 
big change. It's going to be disruptive technology. So they, they obviously want to see us be that disruptor. The, the company that finally manages to build the first artificial general intelligence is going to be something big, I believe. And they are expecting to be owners of a big company. Is the intention that you guys will build the AI or is the intention that you'll build the technology, you'll build the platform and that you'll sell it to someone who will use it or is it your intention to actually build the AI? The third generation artificial intelligence, this artificial general intelligence, is supposed to be something which anybody can train. Just as you would take a human trainee in your in your company and then train all the skills needed for doing a job that's that's exactly how third generation artificial intelligence is supposed to be so we are building the intelligence enough intelligence that the trainee understands you and is able to learn new things but then it's up to you to tell the trainee what you want it to do. So I guess the things that you were talking about is unsupervised learning, most of it. That's one component. There are actually a few other components too that we're working on. We are best known for our unsupervised and semi-supervised learning technology. Yes. So let's distinguish between the terms. What is supervised learning? What is unsupervised learning? And what is semi-supervised learning? Supervised learning is the type of learning which basically powers all of machine learning applications nowadays, it means that you have some kind of data set and there are inputs, for instance, for image recognition and so on. But then, crucially, you have target outputs, correct labels or correct segmentations or correct transcriptions of speech or whatever, but you always have the true correct answers. And these typically have to be human-provided. Unsupervised learning is more the way that humans learn. We don't need to be told all the answers. We we can learn a lot from just perceiving things, playing around, basically. And if you combine these two, then you have semi-supervised learning. So that means that mostly your learning is unsupervised. You're just observing all the kinds of data and images Uh, sounds that you have in your surroundings and then given a few correct answers you will be able to learn very efficiently so semi-supervised learning is a technique where you you need a lot of data just like in normal supervised learning but you don't need so many correct answers and one of the things that you can get to with with the technology that you've built is that you can decrease the number of labels that we need for the data That's right. So um, this semi-supervised learning relies less on human intelligence. You can train it more efficiently with less, less human work. And well, obviously, that's one of the points that we expect third generation artificial intelligence to to do. But that's not the only one. I still want to talk a little about Curious AI and, and, and your background before we delve even deeper into the uh, artificial intelligence stuff. So How are you hoping that the things that Curious AI builds will change the world? What are the actual applications that will result from you building the third generation of AI? So what we want to build is is a general-purpose AI tool for everybody to use. Um, It's a little bit like building a computer. You have to 
build enough capabilities to the computer so that people can program it. You don't necessarily have to program it yourself. So we don't need to build all the knowledge into it. We just need to provide people with the tools that they can use themselves for training artificial intelligences. So we hope that by building this tool, we will empower people. Ordinary people can become programmers in some sense. Like nowadays, computers are something that only nerds can really benefit from. And the rest of the people, they are destined to be consumers. They can't really contribute so much. Of course, internet and all these social media, they have changed the landscape a lot that ordinary people can produce content. And user-generated content is a big thing. But what's still missing is user-generated skills or programs. And we are trying to build technology which empowers everybody to contribute. So essentially, you would get the curious AI and you would unbox it. It probably It's probably not in a box, but anyway, you would somehow abstractly unbox it and you would start teaching it. You could start teaching it to play chess. And if you're a good teacher, it would become a really good chess player. Right. Well, chess is obviously <laughs> the kind of AI application that's solved already. Yes, but yes. but let, let's say that, for instance, you happen to be a nurse and then you you have patients and you interview them and so on and you would have this digital co-worker alongside you and it would learn to interview patients or if you you were a doctor you need to search through databases or, or whatever this digital co-worker would learn to do that or if you happen to be a ceo that does all kinds of bossing uh, <laughs> bossing around uh, then your digital co-worker would learn to do that. Bossing around. <laughs> right. Well, that's what we do, right? <laughs> yes. Great. Yeah. Actually, and that, that's a great segue into, uh, into the topic of, of machine learning in, in companies and organizations. What do you think, what are the ways that uh, machine learning and, well, maybe even if we can talk about the third wave, like how will that change organizations and the way that we boss around in these organizations? No, I, I believe this third wave AI is going to be really big thing in how we work. Because now what we have is a very narrow bottleneck in human interactions. Uh, one human can only interact with a very, very narrow channel. Yes. But suppose we have these digital co-workers that learn the skills and knowledge that this human has. This digital co-worker could, could have thousand conversations at the same time and search for information, spread information also. So be active, proactive participant in an organization. And this is, this is something that we, we just don't have yet. It's very difficult to, particularly if you have a large organization, to mix all the information usefully so that people know what's going on in the organization. And in, there's a lot of silent knowledge hidden in, inside organizations that, that just doesn't get used. So this is going to be changed, obviously, by third wave AI. It's not like you need to search for something. It's a digital uh, co-worker of some other person is going to come and uh, tap the shoulder of your digital co-worker and say, that, hey, actually, I, I noticed that you are working on this project and we have the solution for you. 
or you have to take this into consideration. I don't think that you you notice this, but there is this new thing coming, and you need to be aware of this thing. So it's not like you need to search yourself, but it's like the information is proactively coming to you. A lot of the operations that happen in an organization are related to people gathering data on the stuff that's happening and they need to get enough data for them to be able to make good decisions, good business decisions. Imagine all those meetings that yes. take place in organizations <laughs> as we speak. Yes, exactly, because what we need to do is we need to sit down for us to be able to pull that data. Yes. And what we could do is we could reverse that because also what's what's one of the problems with meetings is that you're not getting the data at the time when you need it. You're getting it at a point in time. But what you're talking about is that when we're about to make a decision, the data that we need for that decision would be there on that spot. Right. So these digital co-workers, I think they are going to have meetings just like we are going to, uh, we are having now. But since they are working on computers with computer speed, we won't notice the meetings. The meetings will be over (laughs) by the time that we, we get the results and so that's how it will look like. There's going to be this shadow organization of digital <laughs> yes. co-workers doing all the kinds of stupid stuff that we are doing now, but with such an amazing speed that for us it looks instantaneous. So in, in the future we will have the real organization that's in the organizational chart, then we'll have the shadow organization that's run by people uh, on the on the sidelines of the real organization, and then we'll have a digital shadow organization. <laughs> so we'll get a third level. Which is actually doing all the work. <laughs> Exactly. So that's awesome. Great. Let's talk a little about your background. So you actually, you got your PhD from the Helsinki University of Technology in 2000. And and one of your fields of study was neural networks. So how did you get into that? When I was in high school, I was very, very interested in all kinds of sciences. In fact, I think that I I thought that I would start doing molecular biology. Okay. genetics and stuff like that like programming cells that 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 sounded cool so uh, that was before the time that genome had been completely read and so on but uh, i think uh, that would have been an interesting career i'm i'm sure of that but then um because in in helsinki in in finland uh, there is this pioneer of neural networks tevo kohonen and there was a big article about him and his research, pioneering research on neural networks, unsupervised learning and all of that, in, in Helsinki in Sanomat, one of the largest newspapers in Finland. And in high school, I, I read that article, and that was love on first sight. Wow. Uh, I, I decided this is what I want to do with my life. Like this, this is it. <laughs> wow. uh, I even wrote um, uh, an essay in, in the final exams in, in high school about neural networks. <laughs> so, yes, I, I was completely so. So, actually, you read an article on Helsing in Sanawat, and that was your kind of uh, ignition. That's how it all yeah, started. Yeah, that's, that's, that's when I decided this is what I'm going to do with my life. Finland is not that large country, so it didn't take me that long time, like less than three years, and I was a research assistant to Professor Kohonen. yeah so you just decided that i want to work with him and and it was fairly easy actually to to get to that position sure obviously i was very enthusiastic and brilliant student and and so on so i think um, he he also figured that it makes sense to hire this guy that he's going to work day and night (laughs) (laughs) and you did and i did yes so how about the stuff that you were working on in your phd are you still uh, applying that stuff 
some of that stuff, yes. Um, my, my PhD was about unsupervised learning with neural networks. A lot of that was variational Bayesian learning. This is something that others are using, actually. So there, there have been people in Google DeepMind, for instance, who, who have been using that. But there was one very small paper that I, I wrote in my PhD thesis about something which uh, continued the research tradition that we had in Helsinki. Uh, people had been working on so-called independent component analysis, which can be used for separating signals from from uh, speech from if you have the cocktail party effect so many people are talking and you want to separate just one voice that's like independent component analysis and i was developing this uh, larger framework for that denoising source separation so something which where you can separate different sources of, of your data based on denoising and this is something that we are still using You've recorded audio at a party, and what you want to do is you want to be able to separate that, separate a single voice, and so that's the source separation. And then you want to do denoising, so you want to get rid of everything else but the source or but that single voice. Right. So the denoising is is something which you actually you can inject noise yourself to the to the data to corrupt it, and. If you have two voices speaking and you have corrupted them, it's much dif more difficult to clean them than if you have just one voice. So that's why the neural network, when it's trying to learn to denoise, so it's it's something that like you corrupt the data yourself, but then you you try to let the neural network denoise that, and the network will have to in practice separate these these voices because then when when it manages to find just one voice it's much easier to denoise that alone so you're actually intentionally corrupting the data so that you can teach your uh, algorithm to separate and denoise better that's right the denoising is is not the task itself the task is to try to extract useful features so it's not just for separating voices but even if you have an image when you try to denoise this image you learn to find um, features like edges and curves and textures things like that so it's a it's a pretty powerful technique for learning about the structure of the data in unsupervised manner. Thinking back to those days when, when you started your career and also through your career, what do you think would have been the like personal qualities that have made you good at what you do? Well, I think actually curiosity is, is one of the big things. I'm very interested in things and I don't necessarily think so much about why I should study something. But if I'm interested in something, I just dive into it. When I started studying, I was studying machine learning. And this this is what I... My, my basic background is in machine learning, but I was also very much interested in, in the brain, how the brain works. Because I think we, there is a lot we could learn from the brain. And um, it might be a bit surprising, but it's kind of contro controversial whether there is anything useful you can learn from neuroscience. So when I studied neuroscience, there were many people advising me that people have tried that. It just doesn't work. Don't do that. Do something useful. 
but I just did it because I, I, I thought this, this is really cool. I want to understand how the brain works. And I wasn't so much thinking, of, okay, I need to learn about these neurons and these, for instance, cerebellum and how, how it learns movements and so on, so that I could build it in robotics. Uh, I was just studying because it, it was so cool. I, I wanted to know how it works just for its own sake. Then in 2003, after 10 years of doing machine learning and five years of neuroscience, I, I decided that okay, I'm done with just le learning uh, about machine learning and uh, unsupervised learning and so on. I want to do something with it. I want to apply it in the same same environment where where the brain evolved and that's controlling a, a body in the real world so i thought okay i'll, I'll go to robotics and I'll, i'll start applying machine learning to robotics that that must be cool and people again were advising against it robotics has been stagnated for 20 years there's nothing new don't touch that field it's it's dead but i was just interested in 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 building these funny funny little robots whether or not they would be useful but in order to understand so that's why i went to into robotics and i was still in academic career and then after a few years time um, after having also started my own neurorobotics research group we we figured that maybe there there's something that we could commercialize and then we came up with the idea idea that let's start a company and that again was very controversial I, uh, 10 years ago in Helsinki University of Technology there were not that many uh, research groups that would have spinned off their their research and in academic circles I think people tend to um, you know um,
planning and, and so on. But second generation AI, which is now ruling the world, that's all based on intuition. Great. Actually, I have one topic that kind of touches on robotics or question that touches on robotics and AI. Because when I look at robots that like you see videos of, of people building or companies building robots and, and often they try to simulate the uh, the human form that they they have hands and they have legs and, and, and so on and I always look at that and I'm, I'm like why do we need to try to simulate the human form why is that something that we're always aiming for and and I think the same thing happens with AI that we talk about how we need to simulate the human brain that we need to be able to build something similar to the human brain. And that sometimes that just feels like, is that really the way that we should be doing this? That's a very good point. But uh, on the other hand, if you look at robotics, that actually is doing something useful, none of that is human. Exactly, shape. exactly. So, for instance, self-driving cars are cars. Exactly. They're, they're robots. Really. <laughs> but that, I think and, that just proved my point, that all yes. of the good stuff, it's not human form. <laughs> I think there is a there is some uh, justification for trying to build human-shaped robots because a lot of our environment is designed for human shape. So once we have enough intelligence to put in, into the brain of the robot, I think that human shapes might be useful for some tasks. I'm not myself trying to build human-shaped robots because I think that, well, there, there are many other people trying to do that and my, my thing is really the brain, so... So I'm concentrating on that, but I think it would be cool to to be able to build the brain for a humanoid robot at some point. About your question about why we want to simulate the brain in a human brain when when building artificial intelligence, I would say that we're not really trying to build a replica of human brain, but human brain does have some very nice tricks that we would like to learn and replicate. There are things that human brains can do enormously better than our best technologies today. So it still makes sense to try to learn about human brain, but it's not really trying to replicate it. It's more like trying to understand the basic principles, the information processing that's going on in, in the brain, and then, then take those principles and then apply them on top of all the, all the tricks of computer science that we have which are better than, than the brains. Okay. So, for instance, machine learning nowadays is much better than human brains in integrating huge amounts of data. Without this ability, machine learning would be f far worse than, than human uh, humans, but because we are able to integrate so much data, the, the computer, even though it's not quite as good as humans in learning, it's still able to perform as well as humans because it just gets so much data. So that's not something we want to throw out, obviously. We want to take that, but we want to include also the components or the basic information processing principles, learning principles that human brain already has implemented. And it does make sense to try to reverse engineer that, but it's not copying. You, you can't just blindly copy things that's that's like building airplanes with feathers and flapping wings we really have to understand the basic principles like for instance my, my heroes the wright brothers they they build a wind tunnel where they tested what is it about bird wings that generates lift and once they understood that they were able to build the kinds of wings 
that make airplanes fly. That's a great answer. So basically what you're saying is we're not trying to replicate the human brain. We're trying to understand it so that we can apply the principles in, in building a brain that combines what's good in the human brain and what's good in machine learning. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, one interesting thing about artificial intelligence is that we can teach an algorithm to identify photos of cats, but it's a lot harder to make an algorithm that would explain what a cat is and what a cat is composed of. Why is that so hard? Well, that's, that's a good question. I think um, one reason is that we are using these feed-forward neural networks, which means that you input a cat... And then the neural network, after some processing stages, spits out the answer. This is a cat. Or then if it's mistaken, says this is a dog or something. But what the neural network does not know how to do is go backwards. So it can't go from... Um, so let's imagine a dog. And let's see how, how should the dog look like in order for it to be a dog. But the, the kind of kinds of technologies that we're developing in this... Uh, third wave artificial intelligence some of them these technologies are able to go backwards and so that, that's that's going to be something which which should make it easier for for ai to explain explain their decisions and this is this is actually um, this kind of model based decision making is one of the big things that's still missing in AI, and this is something that we are working on. So, when you talk about the second second wave of artificial intelligence, you kind of you kind of talk about it that it's it's kind of lame, that it's not that big, and it's not that great, and and so on. So, what do you think? What's what's missing from the from the second wave of AI? Um, first, first of all, I would like to say that second wave AI is great, and it it has been a breakthrough. And the third wave is based on second wave, so it's not like I'm throwing it out. <laughs> yes. uh, but it it has does have severe limitations. It's kind of paradoxical that the first wave AI was all about symbolic um, symbolic processing. Um, this is something which second generation AI just doesn't do really. So whereas the technology that you use every day, maybe, for instance, route planning, is based on some algorithm that searches through many kinds of possibilities, a little bit like chess, chess machine. This is something that second wave AI just doesn't do properly. It doesn't think in terms of symbols. It doesn't plan properly based on the, the models that it, it has learned. And... Of course, then there's also this um, semi-supervised learning and so on. But I mean, that's that's something that we have already published, so it's not that missing anymore. There are these technologies that already exist. But when you combine these three, semi-supervised learning and ability to plan and ability to represent symbolic information, then we are talking about third-wave AI. New York Times uh, just recently wrote about the ridiculous salaries of AI specialists in the U.S. So uh, you could possibly be making millions a year in the U.S. working for a larger corporation doing AI stuff. So why do Curious AI instead? I guess for multiple reasons. First of all, I, I love my independence. I have a very clear vision and I want to work for that vision. 
Um, I, I think that I could convince somebody in a big organization to let me let me try that out. Uh, the second thing is, I do believe that this this thing could be the next big thing. And like, imagine Larry Page and Sergey Brin if they had done all the all the stuff that they did for Microsoft or some some larger company, then where would we we be? I think that I'm well enough already, as I am, with this level of salary. And I think that there is a lot of stuff that I could do with the next big um, third wave AI company that's going to come from Finland. This episode of Bossable Podcast is sponsored by Wonderdog. Wonderdog is a 70-person digital design and development agency. And they're doing this digital service creation thing right. They co-create with their customers. They get feedback on their designs from end users early. They experiment and learn rapidly. They combine design and tech. And most importantly, they aim for outcomes that change industries. The company is built on the seamless interplay of purpose, people, and processes, but at the core is people. Wonderdog does wonders. Go to wonder.dog, so that's wonder spelled with a U, so that's W-U-N-D-E-R dot dog, or just, or just you'll, you'll find the link in the show notes. It's probably easier. Just click on the link in the show notes, wonder.dog. <laughs> awesome. Go check them out.